0: Welcome to the Contribution Revolution podcast, a revolution in kindness, love, and compassion. We're here to talk about all things nonprofit and celebrate nonprofit heroes. I'm your host, IRS licensed nonprofit expert, Mark DelGuercio, and featuring the founder of Nonprofit Advisor Group, my beautiful wife, Tricia. Be sure to visit contributionrevolution.org and tell us about your nonprofit's goals and aspirations your organization could qualify for a grant or other awards. And while you're there, sign the Contribution Revolution Pledge to make this world a kinder and more compassionate place. Okay, let's get started. Okay, welcome everyone to the Contribution Revolution Podcast. This is Mark DelGershaw with my co-host, Trisha, And uh, we have a very special guest today, Darby Schlosser, with Motivation Foundation. And uh, we're really excited to have you on, Darby. So thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for this opportunity to speak about what I've been doing. I, I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, so uh, Tricia, you know, Darby's been around with us for quite a while and um, pretty cool story that uh, what she's been doing. So Darby, why don't you talk a little bit about what Motivation Foundation is about?
1: Well, motivation is, well, it's a, it's a play on words actually to basically motivate the system to move with more effort. And that's specifically what I what I focus on with Parkinson's disease. And uh, I started the foundation because I have an approach and these method these methodologies that I've been wanting to to basically create and get experience out there, working with the Parkinson's community. And it was having this umbrella to receive um, community grants to get people to think differently about motor learning rather than just exercise in Parkinson's. And um, park you know Parkinson's disease has been very trendy. Um, in, in recent news stories, there's celebrities coming out with with Parkinson's, Michael J. Fox, um, Neil Diamond. There's a lot of influential social media uh, people that have Parkinson's, like Jimmy Choi, who's an American Ninja Warrior. And a, a lot of this is on just getting people to move. But I have an approach where I want people to, to move well. And um, so, so the, the Motivation Foundation has just been an opportunity for me to to, to build this program and then hopefully launch it so I can be more nationally recognized and, and um, yeah, and, and just bring this um, education to the Parkinson's community.
0: Yeah, very cool. So for people that aren't familiar, whether they're listening or watching this, um, talk a little bit about what Parkinson's is and what are some of the symptoms, um, those types of things.
1: Absolutely. So Parkinson's disease is a movement disorder and it's highly variable. So there's hypo and hyper movement presentations. So people typically associate Parkinson's with this tremor, which is a hyper movement presentation. Um, But there's a lot, there's a lot with Parkinson's that people don't see and that they don't know. And I found myself working in a very niche part of the Parkinson's um, population in terms of addressing this loss of subjective effort. So, what I mean by that is, people that have Parkinson's will move slower than than the average person, but they're moving slower because there's this loss of movement vigor, and we can remotivate the system and access these alternate motor pathways, and get the body to move more symmetrical, to get it to move with more vigor, with more speed, and um, you know it's it's an interesting group to work with because medication fluctuations happen throughout the day. So the disease will present itself differently in the morning versus the afternoon, depending on um, if you had a big meal, if you had a lot of protein, your stress levels and how it presents and impacts a person um, subjectively is different. Um, and a lot of it does have to do with what what is their um what is their work life like? What are the stressors of their work? What is their passion with movement? Are they, you know, um are they wanting to to um, you know get improve their rock climbing skills? Do they want to improve their their tennis playing ability? And so, it, it is a very um, inspiring group of people to work with that have Parkinson's because you learn so much on this individual level. And a, a lot of people I don't think really are aware of of um, all the symptoms that Parkinson's entails.
0: Right, so you, I, mm-hmm. you know, I know I shared with you a long time ago, uh, I had a family member that was very influential in my life and he had Parkinson's, he passed away. And at first he had the uh, the, the movement issues. That's going back 20 years ago and he went through the standard um, pharmaceutical therapies and so on, mm-hmm. and you know with the shuffling walk and things like that, and that's kind of how it started. And then it really progressed into um, the tremors and really severe tremors and body movements uh, and then later, kind of like a psychosis type of scenario, mm-hmm. um, you know, which some of the people that have come out, some of the famous people that have Parkinson's, like Alan Alda, have talked about, you know, having wild dreams and uh, almost hallucinations and things like that. So it sounds like, and, and from what I've seen from your videos, your focus is on the, the, the mobility, not so much on the tremors or the advanced, um, you know, psychological things that go on with someone. Is that, is that correct?
1: That's correct. I'm focused more on the mobility. Uh, However, I have done a lot of work with more of the dementia population with the cognitive issues, just by being an extra set of eyes and understanding how Parkinson's is impacting their life. I actually write up summaries quite often. And I, 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 work directly with, with their movement disorder specialists and I give them much greater like insight onto how the disease is presenting, and that usually will lead to uh, medication management, better medication management, and right. uh, yeah.
0: So, and what I've read too is like Parkinson's was always a disease of, um, or at least diagnosis of these older people, maybe sixty and older. But mm. it it seems as though the the demographic. I don't know if it's changed or identifying, you know, Parkinson's sooner with uh, younger people. The people that you've worked with, what is their what's the average age group or is it all over the board?
1: It's all over the board. Um, I typically work with people who are older. Now, I've, I've made an impact and I've gotten quite um, popular, I guess, on social media. So I have accessed a lot of the younger onset group of individuals, which has been really exciting because we can really address um, fall prevention from a sports performance um, point of view. So I have right now, I'm working with people that are in their early 30s up to their late 80s. And it's true. I think that people are feeling more inspired to come out with their Parkinson's. And I do think it has to do with earlier diagnosis. Um, Symptoms will sometimes go undiagnosed for 10 years. Um, And especially when you're younger, people will be um, misdiagnosed with essential tremor or it's just anxiety Um, so there, there has been, um, an emergence of younger people, which I think it's great that they're out there sharing their stories.
2: Um, yeah. So yeah, all across the board. (laughs) Darby, I noticed Mm -hmm. that in some of the uh, wording that you use, you speak more in the context of training versus exercising. Can you share a little bit more about that?
1: Yes. So, so I've. I'm I'm going to jump into something too. I'm also I'm also going to school. I'm a full time grad student on top of all this <laughs> um, at Columbia Teachers College for the Motor Learning and Motor Control program. So I'm I'm really big into the cognitive process of learning motor skills and different types of techniques and strategies that we can implement um, by adding variability in practice to increase learning retention and. Um, you know, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought, you guys. You can delete part of this. <laughs> um, hold on. So the, the motor learning principles, I think, are really important because problem solving has to occur in order for people to apply it and translate it to other, to other areas um, outside of the training setting. study. So I'm really, really big on that because I'm training them in a slightly controlled environment that I do make chaotic, but I want it to improve their rock climbing, their rowing. I wanted to improve their ability to walk um, on uneven terrain. So that translation does require those problem solving those problem solving skills.
0: Hmm. And controlled but chaotic. Explain what that means.
1: (laughs) Um, So I provide a lot of unpredictable cues to see how they can react. Um, There's a lot of task switching, a lot of variation in the training. So. It's getting them to be able to control themselves through their own executive function and through through their own decision making. But then all of a sudden I jump in and I'll say left, right, right, left, front, back, left, left, right, for how they have to move their base to see if are are they able to um, implement the proper anticipatory postural adjustment, so to speak. And that's also a challenge in Parkinson's that could lead to a fall. So that variability, I think, is really important. And it's hard to do that in a group exercise setting. So I think we really have to look at what is the goal? Um, is our goal to create an environment where there's high intensity interval training? Because that in itself is very beneficial for Parkinson's. Um, that intense training releases BDNF, which is a protein in the brain, which is neuroprotective. So if that's the goal, if socialization is the goal, if getting people out of the house is the goal, that's fabulous. I um, I just have a slightly different goal. And my goal is the motor learning process, the problem solving, the Strategies, um, so yeah, it's a it's a slightly different take on the training versus exercise.
0: And, and so people can visualize this. Um, you know, I've seen your videos. I've known you for pretty pretty long time now. You started, I believe, with boxing, right, and getting mm-hmm. people with par- Parkinson's to do um, you know both footwork and and uh, arm work. I guess would you call. Yeah. <laughs> it. And then, from what I've seen from your videos, it progressed to a lot of other things like juggling and throwing balls and. And a lot of different things like that. So kind of describe some of those, um, I'll call it therapies. I don't know what you call it, but Mm -hmm. that you do and have done and, and how they kind of work for people.
1: So I use boxing as a modality to retrain a moving base of support and to retrain reaching. So biomechanically throwing a punch is the same as reaching. So I could reach for something or I could punch. And that's where that movement vigor and that increased effort comes into play, where you look at it from this controlled reaching to this controlled explosive ballistic punching. And the moving base is basically ugly dancing. (laughs) So I don't use any boxing equipment. I don't use heavy bags, speed bags, nothing. I actually train 80% of my clients virtually. And without those external cues, it's a little more challenging because they have to learn how to use mental imagery. They have to learn how to better internalize, which the Parkinson's and motor learning research um, shows that an external focus of attention is needed um, to to enhance learning and learning retention. So I I, I go against that slightly um, because I think that being able to internalize boxing as shadow boxing and just movement itself, moving just to move, that's the goal. Um, it allows them to translate this to other areas. So boxing is only used as a modality to prevent falls and to reach at different trajectories. And we can use sound to modulate effort while we're boxing, but we can also use sound to modulate the manipulation of an object, like with the juggling and with partner juggling, which is a game that I created. Um, So we can apply these, these methodologies to so many different areas, but the foundation is built off of boxing and martial arts techniques.
0: Wow, that that is really. I've learned a lot. <laughs> I,
2: I've learned a lot. What what is a common myth of uh, Parkinson's? A common myth,
1: um, you know. I think. Well, one of the one of the big common myths is that it affects old people. Um, I think another myth is that um, it always is going to lead to you know dementia. Um, people can have Parkinson's and they still can be cognitively quite sharp. And I work with a lot of young onset that are working very high, stressful um, level jobs. That's very impressive. Um, And I think that um, a myth is also just not realized just the, the um, lack of knowledge with symptoms that go on that affect other systems in the body, rather than just the tremor that you can see, like digestion and, you know, um, apathy. you know you in order to move with enough vigor, you have to first want to move. There's this cost reward relationship. And I'm really excited um, with the research on this loss of subjective effort because if it's subjective, we can address that by just changing how we perceive how we perceive things and how arousal levels can actually get us to move with more effort.
0: That really interesting because, you know, going back to that family member, you know, 20 years plus ago, there, there wasn't really anything like this, you know, it was mainly mm-hmm. the, the standard, uh, pharmaceutical treatments and, you know, things would plateau for a while and then they would go to another place and it just mm-hmm. progressively got worse. And it's really encouraging to know, especially on early onset, uh, people that you work with that, you know, they're, they're maintaining their functionality, their, their employment, uh, you know, their sports mm-hmm. participation, all those things, it's that to me would be a myth that you would think that people wouldn't be able to do that. Right. So that, that's super cool. Hey, how about your boxing? I mean, <laughs> I've mean, i seen some of your videos. Are you, are you still uh, boxing yourself?
1: You know, I try to just to stay fit. And I love, I mean, I, I love playing sports I and I'm, I'm the same way. I don't like to exercise, but I like to figure out how to train. And I want to throw a baseball, you know, 75 miles an hour. How do I do that? How do I think differently about the movement? And, and I'm the same way with boxing and it's, it's fun to go to classes where I am doing the boxing myself, but I'm also thinking about, hey, this is how I train it, you know, and it, there's that really cool connection.
0: Yeah, um, I, I've mm-hmm. seen you throw the football too, actually. That was crazy. And <laughs> drumming. So you like multi-purpose. <laughs> Amazing.
1: So the, dr- the drumming, I want to jump into that really quick. So when I'm teaching shadow boxing, I'm using this the sound and we're modulating effort to sound. About three or four years ago, I feel like I'm actually drumming in my head, and I—it's this weird feeling where I think that I might know how to play the drums. I might know how to the problem-solving part of playing the drums, although I've never played before. So I did some research. I found an instructor. He's an instructor in Blue Man Group, and we just had this when we were playing like a couple of years ago. It was this amazing relationship of learning him like looking internally at himself with his learning process and being able to articulate it in a way that he never really thought he was able to. And then me applying the same methodologies and techniques that I use for retraining that loss of effort with myself and and playing the drums and finding myself in these mental blocks that lead to motor blocks. And how do I use these same strategies that I'm constantly preaching, um, to, to, to break through those motor blocks. And there's this very similar, um, process of learning how to play the drums and learning how to move just to move through this sound technique that I used, which is really, it's really cool. Um, So yeah, I I have a drum kit actually in my living room over there. I don't, I got rid of my furniture and it's just a drum kit. (laughs) So I did some
2: redecorating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so you're obviously very very busy young mm-hmm. lady and what's the best time of day where you get the most done what's what's that day look like what's that part of the day when you get the things that done that you're most effective
1: most effective in the mid-morning and in the later evening and um i typically span out because i do a lot of in um i I do a lot of training one-on-one. So I'm actually managing 52 clients right now. And uh, they're all in different time zones. So like tonight, I'm actually doing a session at 1130 tonight so that I can work with a woman in Scotland um, before her first dose of medication in the morning. So um, yeah, it's, it's kind of been a little erratic and all over the place lately, but I, I, try, to, I try to sit down and zone out and, and, and get stuff done in the middle of the morning.
0: Darby, so, you know, for Mm -hmm. people that are watching or listening, talk a little bit about um, your process in getting uh, the grants that you have and partnering with some of these larger organizations that you've partnered with. I think people would be really interested to know what that looks like and how you did it.
1: So it started, you know, I've I've done a lot of pro bono work um, years ago and just really building relationships, saying yes to a lot of things. Um and not asking for anything in return, just doing it because I really believe in, in all of this. And I really, I really um, want to be an influencer in the Parkinson's community. So there's, there's things that you have to do sometimes and, and just not, not asking for those favors right away and building those relationships. So once I, once I was ready to apply for a community grant, I applied for one through the Parkinson's Foundation. Um, I had already established relationships with some people who had previously been on the board. Um, and some very influential um, individuals in the Parksmith's community that I think put in a good word. So I, I got that first grant. I was the first person in the state of Nevada that year, uh, the only person to get the grant. And that grant really allowed me to give the training to people that couldn't afford it or not. Basically, I was, I was able to bypass the whole marketing part of it because it is quite challenging for me to market my services. Um, and And, um, that gave me about 480 hours of, of experience that I documented and built even more relationships. Then I applied for the grant again. And the same thing has continued for about three years. And I've also been, um, I've used that grant as leverage to get into a physical therapy clinic where I've been working for five years. So that's given me a lot of credibility and, um, the physical therapy then has the clinic has documented my hours. So I have close to 8,000 hours of individual one-on-one neurological training. And now with this Zoom platform, um, I actually record all my sessions as well. So I have hundreds of recorded sessions that I can go back and create like before and after videos. And I've established a really great relationship with Cleveland Clinic Lou Rubo Center. And the um, head movement disorder um, specialist, Dr. Mari, has given me a lot of respect. Um, and, and, and he's, he's, um, asked me to be parts of certain projects, speaking engagements, and that's really allowed me to get, to get my message out there. And so it's really come down to just building these relationships. I ended up finding a private funder as well. And I think that's so important because a lot of these grants are clinical based grants or they require so much paperwork and it's hard. It's hard to, to, to get, um, to secure them but there are private funders out there that don't micromanage quite as much. And they, they've given me a lot of flexibility and freedom. And um, that's been really beneficial.
0: Yeah. We always talk about that Mm -hmm. because um, you know, you can find somebody that's very passionate about the agenda or topic or the people you're helping. And all it takes is that one person that can be a huge driver, right. Mm -hmm. And they don't, you know, they're hands off and they just want to contribute money or a piece of real estate or whatever it is that the organizations looking for it, it becomes a game changer. I wanna roll back this a little bit though. I think one of the things that was really important that you talked about was building credibility, right? And mm-hmm. your path is a little non-traditional because you're a non-medically trained person. And you, I would mm-hmm. assume ran into some resistance from people that are uh, you know, trained or licensed in certain disciplines. And so you really had to overcome that. Obviously what you do right. is very valuable. It's uh, extremely valuable to the people you're helping. But but how did you how did you build that credibility? Was it through those connections that you made, and then other people advocating for you? Was that basically how you did it?
1: Basically, yes. And and it was also a lot of patient testimonials, and um, those really helped. And I've I've also and now being in grad in grad school and getting my master's, which I should complete at the end of the year, that's tremendously helped. Um, and. Also, I'm on a, I'm on a task force as well. I really, uh, I, I kind of call myself the Ted Lasso of the task force. Um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with that show, but, um, I, I got on, I got on this task force through the movement disorder society for, um, um, postural abnormalities and Parkinsonism. And it's a huge connection through through the the individuals who are on there who are some of the most influential Parkinson's researchers in the world. So you know i I apply for things, um even if I felt like, ma, I'm probably not qualified. and you know, sometimes you'll be surprised because they look at your social media, they reach out to somebody that they might know in las Vegas who's who who puts in a good word, and opportunities kind of just 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 open up. So, I am definitely a go-getter and I, I apply for anything that comes, that comes out there. And I've, I've now, I've now actually started saying no to some things because, <laughs> because I realized, okay, you can say yes until all of a sudden, you know, there's just not enough time in the day. Yeah.
0: But, that's when you know you're successful. Yeah. When you have, when you have enough things to say no to, right. You got enough going on on that group yeah. that you got on or that board. Did you, is that a volunteer position? Did you volunteer for that?
1: Yes. It's okay. a volunteer position. It was probably put in over hundred hours last year on it.
0: Yeah. We've told people too, that's another way to drive, you know, to learn more about what you're doing is to volunteer with a similar organization or an uh, in, uh, influential organization and, and make those connections. Darby, you are so awesome because you put yourself out there and uh, you don't, you know, and, take no for an answer. So. And
2: not only that, <laughs> I mean, look at how much she's accomplished in such a short amount of time.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, another thing too, is I I've been very patient with the process. I've had a lot of criticism in the beginning and people have said, you know, what have you really been doing? Like you haven't even had a fundraiser or you, and, and I'm not looking at, I'm not looking at my goal as as I want to have this one fundraiser, make some money and then call it a day the next year. I'm really looking at that sustainability and, um, and just sometimes like just Reading and hearing about stories for of other really successful people like Jeff Bezos, you know, working out of his garage and, and those stories of I want to make a, a global change. I want to be a change maker. I want to make something that's going to have longevity um, and be sustainable. And I know that that's a process and it requires patience. So um, these community grants have also allowed me to pay myself a salary. You know, I mean, so that's important. You have you have to be able to survive. But I think that patience is key.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it is true. You got to you have to take care of yourself too, um, mm-hmm. and and be able to do that. So, are you like replicating what you're doing? I mean, uh, you know, do, are you training other mm-hmm. people? Is there some kind of uh, pseudo certification program, certification rather that people can go through? What does that look like, and what's the future for motivation?
1: Well, thank you for asking that. Um, I've done a couple consulting projects. Um, one guy, um, I'm going to say his name. He will totally appreciate it. Bobby Murray, uh, purchased a gym in Amarillo, Texas in the Texas panhandle, the, um, only program for Parkinson's that implements boxing was just launched last um, month, uh, actually last week, I believe. So I met him. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but I, I did a lot of consulting with him to get, to get him to this point now. Um, and, and patience was a perfect example with him because it wasn't like, Oh, I want to do this. I want, you know, um, a lot of people. I think they they kind of feed off of that. Oh, I'm helping other people. But you got to realize that it, it takes time. You have to learn how to work with a specific disease population. So this guy Bobby took some time, and and I did a, a great consulting, um, some co- great consulting work with him. Um, there's also a, a project that I've been working on that is called Train to Train, and there's a subset of people with Parkinson's throughout the world who also train others with Parkinson's. And I'm really trying to bring um, light to that because not only is it important that these individuals also get the knowledge that they need um, to, you know, to enhance the learning retention and motor skills um, of the modalities that they're training these individuals with, but so many people with Parkinson's that are diagnosed at a younger age have to leave their job and their career early And to have an option of all of a sudden going into this instructor role and inspiring others to what has helped them, I think is just really powerful. So there's a a group of individuals that we've been doing these every Friday morning, we do these train to train series and we're we're actually working on funding to get that going. So it's four days in a row for like every quarter. Um, And then another project that I will be doing, I got funding for that I'm starting uh, the end of this fall is I'm putting together a project on teaching motor learning principles to people with Parkinson's through this um, sound and internal and imagined cueing um, to modulate effort. And that hopefully will get approved as a continuing education unit for physical therapists. And the class is actually gonna be online, the whole entire class, it's 15 hours. So it fulfills all of the CEUs for the entire year. And, a lot of the Parkinson's um, training and balance training and physical therapy is really great, but I don't think it's addressing this specific part of the disease presentation, this loss of effort. And what I'm hoping is that I can market it through really large physical therapy franchises. And you, know, you take a physical therapy franchise with 600 locations, and you get the two or three individuals out of each place. Um, to do that, I can fund my research myself. Um, through that, through that means, and I think that's one of the best ways to um, really make a change is to go to the professionals and the clinicians to give them tools that they can that they can apply any way that they want within their physical therapy model. Um, and then working with the people with Parkinson's who have helped themselves through their own methods to then help others. Um, those are kind of the two the two areas. I don't really have a desire to train just personal trainers because there has to be that level of commitment to really understand Parkinson's. And it's, it's, um, it's definitely like a, a commitment level that not everybody has. So, right. so that's,
2: yeah, man, yeah, that
0: is awesome.
2: That is wonderful. <laughs> I have learned so much yeah, too. Me too. Wow. wow. Hey, so what <laughs> is, uh, what is it that you need? I mean, share with our listeners, what, what is it that they could do to help?
1: Well, at this point right now, it's, it's kind of, um, the, the biggest thing that I could use right now is building, I need to build a team. So I'm, I'm going to be looking probably towards the end of the year to putting together like a bigger board, um, rather than just me. (laughs) So a bigger board. And it's really finding people that are excited and passionate about these specific Um, This message that we're trying to get out there, which I think is important. It'll take the right person and, um, finding, finding people that are social media influencers. I can help with getting the message out there. That's an area that I've struggled with. I, I really just don't have the time to, you know, um, post on Instagram every, every, you know, few seconds and figuring out the algorithms of that. So I think building that team is really important. Uh, I, I want to launch a campaign towards the end of the year. And being able to have people help with promoting that campaign, um, I'll, I'll probably have that on my um, on my website. I also um, am hoping to be receiving funding in the next month for a really unique support group for care partners, and that'll be on my website as well. And I would love to be able to um, kind of promote that that care partner um, power hour.
0: Okay, and what's so- your uh, what's your website? And when we uh, post this up, we'll promote that too, and be able people mm-hmm. can find the link. But You can uh, shout it out if you want.
1: Um, Motivationfoundation.org. And that's motorvation, not Motivation. So Motivation Foundation.
0: Okay, excellent. Wow. Really super cool.
2: So what do you do in your free time?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know she goes to concerts. That's what I see.
2: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I actually do a lot.
1: I really do believe that, you know, you have to, you have to have those outlets. I just went to this amazing drum concert over the weekend. Um, I do travel a little bit and the great thing is when I travel, I work, I still work and I'm, and for grad school, I'm able to zoom in to class. So I watch class from a smart screen. So like I was in Portland a couple of weeks ago and went to a basketball game and I just find a corner, zoom in, go to class, learn some great stuff, do my sessions online. So it's really, it's, it's really been, um, valuable on, on, on on how we can actually use this online platform and reach people from all over the world and, and still find times for ourselves. So.
0: Yeah, and it sure has changed, mm-hmm. you know, with COVID in the last couple of years, uh, you know, programs like yours that were, or are very hands-on and being able to make that transition to uh, virtual mm-hmm. and still have it be effective is, is huge. And now everybody accepts that. And it's kind of like, you know, the norm, right? So it's a good way to do it. I want to roll back one other thing though, that you said, I thought it was so important. When we asked you what you needed, you didn't start with money and you started with a team and so many people their answer is we need money we need money and i I think really the approach is build that team and the money comes right you find the right connections Mm -hmm. um because then you're you're just leveraging other people's you know connections and their education and their interests and all those other things and and i think that was really really a good answer because so many people are focused on got to get the money and Mm -hmm. what you really need to do for most of these organizations is get the team and Darby did a great job of building this thing up with basically you, right? So <laughs> yeah. doing it all. I don't recommend yeah. that, but,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. but you've
0: done a great job of doing it. That yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yes. It's it's been it's been a challenge, and and what I've actually learned now is so a lot of these people that I train, um, and a lot of them are the ones who are are very insightful with with training others and, and what they've done to overcome their own symptoms and stay ahead of that disease trajectory. we we've, we've built. Um, strong relationships and connections with one another, and I have multiple small groups on Facebook Messenger, and we just talk all the time. And these guys are becoming my team. They're they're like my advisory board, and learning from the the person with Parkinson's themselves and how that biopsychosocial model affects them in their every their in their everyday um, is just I think invaluable insight that I'm able to get that a lot of clinicians can't get because of those patient, um, Dr. Boundaries.
0: All right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Trish, anything to add?
2: No, I just, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you're absolutely adorable and we loved working with you for these past several years. It's been really wonderful. And I, I think that this is a really important message that everyone needs to hear about. I think it's really clever and extremely um, beneficial to people. I, I personally have some injuries, and so I have to use like physical conditioning to maintain myself mm-hmm. and my well being. And uh, so it's hard, it takes work mm-hmm. and focus and dedication. And kudos to you. You've done it. Celebrate a win. You've done a great job launching this organization.
0: Yeah. And thanks Darby. And also um, just great to connect with you again. So I haven't seen you in a while and it's nice to see you face to face or at least screen to screen. Right. So really cool. Great job. Keep up the good work. Keep us informed. If you need anything, you know, we're here for you. If you've got anything coming up, let us know. And, you know, we'd like to do a a follow-up with you at some point in the future. I think people will be very interested. Maybe once you get through grad school and drumming and Mm -hmm. you know, some of the other (laughs) things you got going on. Well,
1: I definitely won't make it through drumming because that'll be forever. But yeah, grad school, I will survive. And I would love to to keep you guys updated because I have a lot of projects um, in the future. So thank you so much. Thank Excellent. you for everything.
0: All righty. Thank you, thank you right. Darby. Thank you. Take care.
1: Have a good Thanks, day. Thanks, you too. Bye. To you. Ciao, Bella.
0: Thank you for joining us today. I hope what you heard will inspire you to join a movement of kind and compassionate people who care about others. Be sure to support our guests and visit contributionrevolution.org for free tips, training, and inspiring stories of our nonprofit love revolutionaries. Remember, it's up to all of us to make the world a kinder, loving, and compassionate place. Signing off until next time. See you soon.